Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, March 21st. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone. It's good to be back. The spring break trip to Disney World last week was lovely. The first trip as a family of four now, and I'd like to think my three-year-old will remember it forever, but who who knows with the real, right? Uh, I know her mom and I definitely will. The three-month-old will uh, love to see pictures someday. So uh, the, the kids did great. Disney is a blast, but it's also a reminder of you know, how uh, oblivious some people are to their surroundings and everything, but it's how slow people walk. And I, I digress. But anyway, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking big news around the world of travel. So we're going to dive right into it. And joining me on the show now is Brendan Francis Noonan, host of the Not Lost Travel Podcast. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me here, Eric. Uh, yeah, my name is Brendan Francis Noonan, as you said, and I have a travel podcast with uh, Pushkin Industries. It's a podcast network, uh, and it's called Not Lost. And uh, the first season, I traveled across North America with different companions, would hit different cities and um, try to learn about them by trying to get invited to dinner parties. Uh, and so we went from uh, Montreal to Mexico City, Bozeman, Las Vegas, lots of other places, and would visit sites, visit restaurants, talk with folks. But my theory uh, was that to really understand a place, you needed to break bread with the people who live there. And so that's what I would try to do. Uh, and in a previous life, I hosted a show about dinner parties and wrote a book about dinner parties. And so that's what I did. And it was uh, well received. It was a success. Uh, and then that, and then for season two, I talked with other travel writers a little bit about how they approach their work. So that's that's my audio work. And then I, I used to have a travel column for CNN.com called The State I'm In, where I would travel and report on where I was going. And I uh, have written features in the past for magazines like Dwell and Savor about uh, various uh, destinations. Excellent. Yeah. Big on dinner parties there. I'm, I'm a little hungry now for dinner. I'm, I've got a plan. Well, what I'm, I actually don't know what I'm having for dinner right now. So that, yeah. <laughs> Is that an invitation, Eric? I'll, I'll be, I'll be over right now. Yes. Anytime. This. Yes. Anytime in Atlanta, come on and, and feast. I, I do a mean air fryer chicken tender. <laughs> no, I am actually, sounds I, good. I do, do cook well, but yes, I mean, that's to the core of traveling local right there, getting into it and getting dinner parties uh, with the locals there. And uh, that kind of segues into, we're going to talk a little bit about solo travel here and hear Brendan's tips as he's done a vast amount of solo travel and putting himself out there and getting invited to dinner parties, which is pretty cool. So, uh, but before we get into the solo travel talk, we're going to dive into what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week, as we do for every episode, in case this happens to be your first time listening. So we're going to jump in and we begin with the air travel news sector and a big one there in the last week was flight attendants. They want to ban infants on lap, citing safety concerns and a string of recent intense incidents involving turbulence on airplane flights. The Association of Flight Attendants is again calling for a ban on infants who must sit on their parents' laps during a flight. Union President Sarah Nelson told the Washington Post that there have been drops of more than 4,000 feet in a matter of seconds on airplanes of late, and no mother or father, no matter how much they love their child, can protect him from that, end quote. So, Brendan, your thoughts on flight attendants seeking a ban on lap infants on planes? Well, I do not have an infant of my own, so I don't know that I'm qualified to answer, but uh, it seems to me a pretty, uh, seems like a pretty good recommendation. I know helping a friend just the other day put uh, her toddler into a car. We wrestled with the car seat and got it got it set up um, because we take it very seriously when people are on the ground. I don't uh, see why it would be different if we're in the air. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that flight attendants are the ones asking for this 
because it's not as if maybe the airlines would like this as a as a way to sell more tickets. It seems like people who are actually on the airplanes every single day, seeing how people uh, you know react, seeing how turbulence is working, are asking for it. I don't know. It seems seems like it'd be wise to listen to them. Right. Yeah. The people actually in it and flying every day and seeing the issues at firsthand. It's yeah, that makes sense, you know, that they but with the airline side of things like I wonder if it's a cost thing and you're wondering, yeah, put I want another butt in the seat, not a free ticket. And, you know, how many of these little additional carriers are, are airplanes going to have to provide or, or is it up to the consumer and the traveler to buy additional seats? Because, yeah, you're right. We take that very seriously on the ground and in cars and you know, car seats are a big deal and everything, but up in the skies, it's like, oh, it's okay. And but maybe not so much, you know, especially, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. definitely been some really like some viral incidents too of crazy turbulence. And yeah, it makes, it makes you think it's like, well, yeah, actually maybe they shouldn't be on my lap. Is it, is it that safe? And I, I have flown with infants on my lap. Uh, my son has not flown yet. He's only uh, he'll be four months old in two days actually. And, but my daughter okay. flew on our lap. Uh, she flew when she was six months and uh, yeah, it wasn't really much of a thought at the time, but yeah, diving into more of this and more vocal from the flight attendants here does make you wonder. Well, well, yeah, why is it why is it different in the skies than it is in the air? You know, or in the, on the ground. Yeah, in the in the military, they have a term called ground truth, which is um, uh, facts from the actual ground that are different than they are in theory, or different than they seem in uh, boardrooms or in think tanks. And again, flight attendants, it doesn't seem like you get closer to uh, what's happening in an airplane than flight attendants. So, um, but that again, I don't know the machinations of the flight attendant union, but uh, it seems like a pretty sound recommendation to me. Right. Yeah. Listeners, let us know your thoughts. Podcast at TravelPulse.com. I'd love to get your take on that. And now we're going to jump over into destination news. And the big one in the last week was a new update from the U.S. State Department. They issued a spring break travel warning for Mexico. There are multiple places in Mexico at the level four do not travel advisory. But as it relates to the popular spring spring break destinations, the State Department last week issued an alert warning that if Americans visit Mexico, they need to be on high alert for crime in downtown areas of Cancun, Playa del Carmen, and Tulum, especially after dark. So there's a lot of it. You can check out the various alerts and everything with travel advisories. Just Google travel advisories and the U.S. State Department site pulls up and you're there and you can filter in what you want and look at all these destinations and and everything. But right now, as it relates to the big one in Mexico, is it a popular time with spring break travel? Brendan, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, this one from Mexico and just travel advisory alerts in general? Well, again, maybe uh, I was just uh, <laughs> raised a different way, but you know, I have no reason to uh, think that the the State Department has any nefarious reasons to recommend uh, people be more alert and to, to you know put out these advisories. You know, that said, the way the media covers these, I think, is interesting because you see a level four for Mexico. Well, Mexico is a huge country with all sorts of places. I I just came back from a trip to Oaxaca which is uh, uh, I was in the town in the mountains on the kind of West coast. And then I went to Mexico city, absolutely safe. Both of those States are not under a level four advisory. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't want to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think people should be alert. They should be vigilant. And if their children or, or kids are going to places, they want to be aware of this, but I also think they should dig a little deeper and look at a map and, and see what, is really being recommended uh, is, uh, you know, all the countries we're talking about Mexico here, but other places, you know, if a shooting happened in Tacoma um, and you had a travel advisory against the United States, would that mean people shouldn't go to Philadelphia? I, you know, obviously people who live here would say differently. 
Right. Yeah. And with the uh, popular tourist locations that are listed, they're actually at the level two advisories that say to exercise increased caution when traveling to the destination. Mexico's broad list. If you like pull up the filter by section, it doesn't say it just says other because it wants you to dive in and, and research. You know, the State Department wants you to put that in. And a lot of people don't do that. And that's why I always recommend use a travel advisor because they're going to be up to up to the no on that stuff too. But when when you look at level two advisories and, you know, warnings about alert for crime and stuff, well, France, the UK, Netherlands, they're all at a level two right now. And you mentioned the US as well. Like what would Miami be on these scales? Miami Beach is out here setting curfews and up in police force for the weekend to combat the spring breakers that they're always having issues with and still having issues with partiers and violence leading to arrest, even though they have added these measures in place they're still having issues so it's it, that's going to happen at spring break it's a kind of a party theme you know week and everything and where where travelers go and mexico is, is a big one those popular tourist locations are going to be big but yeah again to your point about the media as well i i've been with travel polls now for um almost seven years and every march every march there's mexico travel spring break something sort of advisory even if there's not even a, a new alert like there were already headlines about spring break travel warnings uh in like february this year for yeah. things and there wasn't an actual state department update yet on that the last update was like last october and it's like well I, what's going on here you folks you know make sure you pay attention to the actual alerts and but there was an actual alert last monday and that's what they said about just being on high alert but you, you need to be yeah. on high alert everywhere you travel these days honestly well i think it's also in the news there you know there were kidnappings, but that was in Tamalpas, which is right further north. Uh, and so, but I think that's the thing. If people are busy with their lives, uh, they don't get the check into the detail. They don't have the time to kind of back, do all the research maybe. And so they just hear that and then this accrues and then they think about Mexico and they're just saying, oh, I shouldn't go. It's dangerous. And like I said, it's a really big country, lots of different spots. Uh, and to your point, there were two fatal shootings in Miami, <laughs> Florida, uh, I'm not laughing at it. I'm just a guest. I don't know how to process it. But, uh, you know, that was in the United States in, in one of the most popular spring break destinations in the world. What level would that be? I don't know. So I guess the, the bottom line is this: do your research. And yeah, if you have a travel advisor, speak to them about what's been happening there and the realities on the ground. Absolutely. Yes. And speaking of uh, popular U.S. destinations, new data came out and we're wondering when will the U.S. travel sector fully recover with new data from National Travel and Tourism Office. They say that U.S. inbound travel is expected to fully recover to pre-pandemic levels in 2025 and reach 91 million international visitations by 2027, which puts them in line with the government's recently announced National Travel and Tourism Strategy. Earlier this month, the U.S. Travel Association revealed that 79% of leisure travelers in their big survey plan to hit the road in the next six months, and 33% said that they plan to travel more in 2023 than in 2022. So, Brendan, your thoughts on the current state of U.S. travel right now? Yeah, this is uh, interesting. You shared this with me before we came on, and um, I I don't think a lot about inbound travel. I live in uh, New York City, and so I it is. Times Square is always packed with people from all different places. Uh, I know that uh, New York still hasn't recovered from pre-COVID, and, and this research seems to bear that out. So I'm happy to hear that we're on track to kind of recover. Although 2025 does seem far out. I, I would assume it would have happened a little bit sooner. Uh, you know, anecdotally, people in my life have been traveling to Dallas, New Orleans, Las Vegas. Uh, the snow is great this year. People are in Aspen and Steamboat Springs up in Vermont. You know, there's lots of people moving around right now and, and it seems like it's robust. Um, you know, the economy is a little bit rickety and uh, we'll see what effect that ultimately has on travel in the latter half of this year. 
But I think people are, we're still kind of uh, getting that bounce back from COVID times where people are eager to kind of uh, to uh, travel a bit. Right. Yeah. And with international travelers, too, I think some of them might be venturing out to other locations closer to them as they would instead of coming over to the U.S. as, as soon now that things have, you know, been more open with that. And and yeah, it's interesting with with the, these numbers here and where we're going to be. I, I, th- I thought maybe 2024 on that, but 25 mm-hmm. seems, uh, yeah, may- maybe they'll exceed expectations and they're playing it safe. I don't know. But yeah, the U.S. destinations, especially with American travelers, are, are, are big and they're going to remain big. The outdoor destinations are huge. Um, national parks continue to be a hot hot topic and a hot spot for spring break here and, and, and in the summer. Things are, are booking out fast for a lot of those places, too. So, yeah, I think U.S. travel is on the up for sure. And I just am a little surprised that uh, 25 is, is, the, is the projection there and obviously hope for that things will be a little bit better um, than 2025 20, by then. So. Maybe this is a case of uh, the National Travel and Tourism Office is uh, uh, under promise and over deliver. So maybe we'll all we'll be delightfully surprised. There in you 2024. go. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping over to hotel news, we had a story recently on uh, the Americans' uh, biggest hotel deal breakers this is from the vacationer and their survey stuff. Uh, bed bugs came in at number one, followed by foul odors such as poop, mold, or smoking scents. Um, finding a camera in their room came in third. Stained bed linens or visibly dirty surroundings was next, and then unwanted a critter in the room after that, and then having no locks or broken locks after that. Uh, so, Brendan, your thoughts on this list, and uh, what would be a hotel deal breaker for you? Well, first of all, D all the above. Uh, yes. <laughs> this, this is pretty chilling. I don't stay in fancy hotels, uh, but I haven't really encountered a lot of these <laughs> these problems. Cameras in the room yikes broken locks uh-oh critters in the room um yeah so uh, all those things seem pretty scary uh and yes you absolutely should that you, you should change rooms or, or change hotels if they you encounter them you know uh, my deal breakers are more mundane you know i timely check in and check out i feel like that's what always bugs me when i arrive at a place and they're not ready i have to wait for my room and I, you know you're paying all this money and you're only going to be there maybe for 14 hours when all said and done. Uh, noise is a big one for me. I, I don't like doors that are too thin or being able to hear my neighbors. Uh, but other than that, I just need clean room, good water pressure, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm surprised noise was not higher on this, especially as it relates to hotel. I think if this is strictly like you know vacation rentals or you know at airbnb or vrbo or whatever then finding a camera in the room is probably a lot higher but yeah that's mm. not really something you think or worry too much about at least my experience you know when you go into a hotel is the camera in the room issue but yeah smelly stuff i i've thankfully not experienced that in any of my recent travels um but yeah i have actually had a, a like an issue with the lock on the door one time it was in new orleans and i went to this hotel and um, I was with my wife and she always like triple checks a lot. I wouldn't have even thought anything of it. I would have just closed the door. And, but now I'm on high alert every single time I go into a hotel room mm. and I'm like, let me triple check this lock, make sure. Yeah. It was like a broken thing and it was a newer property. And yeah, we ended up having to switch rooms cause they couldn't come and, and fix the door. And I was like, well, so glad that we checked this right as we were about to leave and go to dinner and everything. So later dinner that night, but yeah, foul odors, I think would, would for sure be up there, but Critter in the room. I'm, uh, has anyone actually experienced that? Has anyone really, like, what hotel are you staying at? <laughs> I don't know. Critter in the room. I mean, maybe if you get in a fight with your partner, you would deem them a critter. But other than that, I don't uh, <laughs> I don't know where these people are, are staying. 
Right. Yeah, I guess maybe they looped bugs into that and as a critter, but I hear the word critter and I think like a raccoon is coming up. So maybe exactly. don't, don't say raccoon. on the first floor, I guess, right? A uh, raccoon uh, sitting in your reading chair, smoking a cigar, <laughs> staring at you when you open the door. That would be scary. <laughs> Where have you been, oh, traveler? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that's good. So that wraps up pretty much what has been trending, uh, some of the bigger ones in the last week in here. So uh, lots of news, you know, make sure you check out travelpulse.com for all the news any additional thoughts on the stuff here or we missed or whatever, drop an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week on solo travel. So, Brendan, let's just jump right into it. What are some of the pros to solo travel? And can you debunk any of the common misconceptions or myths that are out there about solo travel? Ah, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of solo travel. Um, as I said, this past season, I travel with a partner, but for the most part with my columns before that and most of my articles and in my personal life, I've done a lot of solo travel. And I don't know what's, there, there's not a lot not to like. I think the biggest uh, pros for me are, uh, it's an opportunity for self-discovery. It, it is to go to a different place, uh, a town you haven't been in before or a country you haven't been in before. It's disorienting. Uh, there, there are no expectations on you because you're not, you don't have a job to do there. Uh, you don't, you know, you're, you're just kind of going to learn about it uh, and you're allowed to follow your bliss. And I just find that such a uh, uh, an interesting experience in this day and age where each of us have so many responsibilities uh, in our personal lives, with our family, with work, etc. It's nice to go somewhere else and you're and have a few days in there where you're just able to learn about a place, follow your curiosity, uh, rest and, and recover uh, without administering to someone else's needs. Uh, it, it can be it, it's a nice thing. So th- those are the pros. I mean, I could go on. Uh, I think some of the misconceptions um aren't necessary i don't know if people have a lot of negative misconceptions i guess they could see that it say that it's a little bit sad a little bit lonely not to share it with others um i could see that there's a point sometimes when i'm traveling uh see little seeing families uh you know having fun playing on the beach you can you can get a little wistful uh but that can happen at home as well um i do think a myth is i think people have this eat pray love kind of idea that um if you travel solo you're just going to have wild adventures and wild romance and that's not really the case uh you know that traveling alone does require work it does require planning and if you do want to meet people whether it's romantic or otherwise you need to uh socially engage and kind of that takes a little bit of effort uh which kind of sometimes runs counter to people's ideas of what a vacation is you don't just get to let go and so yeah i I think that kind of perception of just because if you're traveling solo you're kind of uh, having all these riding on a motorcycle into the sunset in Barcelona uh, with with a, with a partner that, that that doesn't really happen. It's a lot of time to yourself and uh, a lot of time for reflection. Yeah, life isn't always a movie, right? You know, it's not going to be all you know rose colored glass <laughs> or whatever. But you know, with solo travel, though, a lot of people get anxiety about about the idea of traveling solo, whether it's for work or even just the idea of a leisure solo travel vacation so how do you think uh, one would work to overcome that fear or anxious uh, thoughts or yeah i mean i look if, if you have fear about being in new places alone that's i don't know something something you need to work on. i can just say that just like with uh, you know you can inoculate yourself by actually doing it and, and realizing oh that wasn't so scary and i feel like um you can kind of uh, get more confidence that way uh when i was younger i i was fortunate enough to i had a job in uh eastern europe uh, back in, uh, you know, many, many years ago. And I had some friends I grew up with who were maybe a little trepidatious about traveling. 
And once they visited me, they were like, uh, did, they just got bit by the bug because they they had an excuse to visit these places because I was there. And then once they saw that they're safe there, that they didn't feel awkward there, they continued along their way. So I, I would say just push past the initial urge, uh, resistance. And then beyond that, I think, you know, again, to travel on your own, it takes as much kind of research and focus as it does to travel with some people. And so I would say find some structure to your day. When I, when I visit a city, for example, for a week, I usually find a bakery or a cafe that kind of becomes my anchor uh, that I start each day with. I, I create a, my itinerary is usually when it's a purely recreational trip. I try to see one major site a day, not four, uh, not, not two. I just try to see one. And if I see two, great. So I see one site, I start my day in the same place. And then I'm a food guy, so maybe I'll have a vague idea of what kind of food I want to experiment. And that gives me a loose enough structure to kind of uh, fill my day. And then I can follow my bliss if something happens uh, in between. But I think, uh, yeah, no, completely structureless days in a completely new place, completely by yourself. I can see how that could uh, could get someone feeling disoriented and uncomfortable. It's great advice, though. I mean, I like that. Set yourself an anchor spot to establish more of a home base, if you will, on that of where you're going to start out. And yeah, don't overdo it. And, and I would say, too, if you're, you know, never done it and you're nervous or whatever, maybe just start in your own backyard. Hit your capital city, or hit, hit a neighboring city and a state over that you could just drive to and start small if it really is something that is super anxious, but that you want to try before you, you know, just jet set over to Italy or anything like that, unless you want to just go all in on that, you know, maybe that is <laughs> what some people actually need is just go all in and go all the way, do the 12 hour flight and, or whatever, and just dive all in and you know, I would cure things there. So, uh, but yeah. And um, what would you say is the number one thing that a solo traveler shouldn't go without? Ah, I mean, uh, I mean, to the the curiosity and and uh, love of self because that's who you're going to be by yourself, and you should like being with yourself, and uh, you should be go a little bit hungry about wanting to learn a place, whether it's a museum or whether it is a work trip, but you know that you're going to be there overnight and you're going to miss being with your family. Well, if you're someone who I don't know likes golf, like maybe research if if you can work a work a game in while you're gone. If you're someone who likes food, maybe you find a local food truck. Having you know one little place to kind of uh, so again having a little bit of an, of an agenda. Um, and then also I find I always bring a book. I think a phone does the trick too, but kind of, uh, I sometimes bring a crossword puzzle <laughs> with me. I know they're available on phones, but I'm old fashioned. I'll, I'll, I'll work on a Sunday puzzle, uh, all week long. And I feel like that sometimes when I'm feeling socially anxious, if I'm sitting by myself, um, resting, uh, it makes me feel less weird that I have a little activity to do. And I like not always being tethered to the phone. So I'll, I'll read a book. Um, and, and that's another advantage actually of solo travel. If you're a food person, I find if you're a single person, you can probably sneak into a good restaurant in a way that you can't with two people or four people or three people. Yeah. You can usually work your way up to the bar. And I feel like I've even gotten rush tickets to performances uh, because I don't need two seats next to one another. I, um, also, um, I've, I was in Porto this summer in Portugal, and there's a long line for a funicular, and uh, which you know was like kind of going across uh, across the the mouth of the of the river there. And uh, they, I got to skip ahead because it was just me and there was a family of three and they had four seats. So there are some advantages just to make it, it makes it a little easier to uh, move around a place than if you're going along with a group of people. Great advice there. Well said. You mentioned Portugal. So let's talk about some destinations. What are some of the best places for solo travel internationally and here in the U.S.? 
Yeah, I mean, Port- Portugal, I went there for the first time. It gets a lot, of, it's getting a lot of ink these days mm-hmm. because it is is genuinely such a lovely place. Lisbon, Porto were the places I went. Um, I highly recommend uh, traveling there. Very easy. People are very kind. Uh, it, um, really easy to get around, good transportation system. Um, I was also in Mexico City. Uh, absolutely enjoyed myself. I, I'm a city person and a lot of my destinations are cities, but I do think that is better for to have density when you're traveling on your own. That way you can just find one place to set yourself up for, for the weekend and go to museums, go to restaurants, uh, go see sites, uh, go, go to amusements all uh, uh, within walking distance, which I find is nicer because you can run into people and, and uh, it makes it feel less isolating than if you're just in a car. But uh, Berlin... It's a wonderful city filled with all different sorts of neighborhoods, uh, uh, lots of international people. In the summer, there's lots of outdoor concerts. Uh, that's a fun, easy place. You can rent a bike. That's a fun, easy place to uh, travel solo. Um, Montreal is is our, our neighbor to the north. Is uh, If you get the feeling of going to Europe and you haven't even gotten into an airplane if you drove or you haven't gone that far, uh, if everyone is extremely friendly. Uh, so, yeah, so Berlin, Mexico City, Portugal, uh, New Orleans, uh, with such great music and such joy. I mean, that's a, obviously a fun place to go with a group of friends, but, um, I find like places that are steeped in kind of arts and culture. Um, you don't, you can just sit and watch a band by yourself and have a euphoric moment. Uh, and there's nothing, there's just packed with lots of music, great food, and just really kind people in New Orleans. Yeah, that's great. What I was going to say on the arts and culture side, I was going to pick Asheville here in uh, North Carolina. This is a great spot. I, and internationally, I would say in the Netherlands. I We talked about them as a level two earlier in the show. And you know, I, I had a splendid time in the Netherlands and people were exceptionally kind and everything. So that would be one on mine. And I always hear about Iceland is like so, so big and especially on, on female solo travel too. So I know that's on my wife's list out there as well. So um, any other tips or uh, tricks or any uh, advice you'd want to pass on to our listeners or, or our travel advisors that sell clients on, on solo trips or anything as we close up? I mean, I, I would just say, you know, not not to be a cliche, but they call cliches or truisms like do it now. You know, I, I think family travel is a pleasure. I travel with my sister and her kids and, and I've enjoyed myself. I travel with my parents who are older. Retired couple travel is a pleasure. Friend trips are great. But uh, going to a place you've always wanted to on your own while you're able-bodied, while you have a little bit of money in your pocket, um, it's really just, uh, it's a, for me, just a really invigorating, exciting feeling. It's like a blank page, uh, you know, or, or like a new pair of shoes. It, it's just it's just ripe with potential and adventure. Um, and, you know, just even the simplest act of waking up, wandering around, um you know, getting a cup of coffee um, is mind altering. You're you're just learning because you're in somewhere you're somewhere new. Uh, so it's mind altering, and it doesn't even require drugs. You can, you can just buy a plane ticket, land somewhere new, and it's disorienting in some of the best ways. I think you do learn more about yourself because when you're home, your friends have an idea of who you are, which is part of why they're your loving friends. Your colleagues certainly have a perception of who you are. When you're somewhere else, you're not immediately defined by what pre- preconceptions. It's just you get to uh, present yourself as you want to be, and you can perhaps uh, learn learn more about the world that way. Excellent advice. Yes, I, I love it all, and I would say just uh, echoing that. Yeah, jump jump on it. Don't hesitate. You know, you never know what tomorrow could bring, and then let, you know, get right on it. 
So that's where I'm at. And use a travel advisor too, as always. That's my plugs for the show here and everything. So Brendan, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, where can people find your podcast and uh, your socials or anything if they want to get in touch with you? How can they reach you? Uh, fire away on the self-promo stuff. Okay, yeah. You can find the podcast. It's called Not Lost. Um, you can just put that into Google. It'll probably usher you to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, or you can go to pushkin.fm is the, my kind of my, my audio publisher, the company I work for. Um, and then me, I'm BF Nunam, which is a little weird. N E W N A M like Vietnam. BF Nunam. Um, I'm on Twitter, not so much, but I'm on Instagram a bunch. Um, and I love hearing from people and, um, yeah, I hope to come to Atlanta someday, Eric, and have some of those air fried chicken tenders you promised me. Absolutely, man. You are welcome anytime. Give me a shout, my man. So thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it, man. Have a a great one. This has been a pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. Please invite me back anytime. Definitely. Thank you so much. So that wraps up what we have here for the show. Thank you all for listening so much. If you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. Should give us a shout out to the email. I've said it a few times on the show. You should know it by now or give us a shout on the podcast hotline number, which is 201-381-3017. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week.